Education is the key to success. Go to school, get a job, and live a good life. That is the African dream. And Jay, is it just me or someone light to the masses? People are on these streets carrying their entire alphabet of degrees, and yet they are living hand to mouth. No one is questioning what are we learning? Why are we learning it? What is education? And what is success? Let's not forget, there's also a growing number of people with special and varying needs who do not even have access to basic education. I have to ask, is education in Africa broken? My name is Tebo Hakangota III. Join me every week as I sit down with experts, educators, parents, and students to talk about the state of education on the African continent. It's a lot. Welcome to the Educated Africana. intriguing and interesting panel who have so much to share so before we get into our banger topic education is broken in africa i'd like to ask chipo what is your fondest memory of school off the top of my head are we talking grade school university at what level whatever whichever level that pops up to you like right now well funny enough it was sports day in primary school (laughs) <laughs> that, was, that was it. And why do you think that that came about and what happened on that day? Well, sports, it was mostly fun, you know, and uh, yeah, there was no school involved, really. It was everybody just, it was more family time and you had your chance to just run around and, you know, it was a fun day. I think a lot of people can agree with that. Um, Tambule, what, what, what was your, what was the role of education in your home, like when you're growing up? Was it a was it a must? Was it a non-negotiable, or did you have a choice as to like what you're doing, like if you are gonna go to school or not? What was the deal? With me regarding education in in the house when I was growing, it was a must. You needed not <laughs> indicate that. I mean, today is a lazy day for me. I'm going to sleep in or it's a cold day, you know, as cold as it is in Zambia, for example, you know, this during this period, um, it was a must. Come, weather, come rain, come sunshine, whatever weather it was, however you were feeling, you definitely had to go to school. I think that was very good because I think to some degree, it gave us a certain level of discipline and value that we attached to education once we were mature enough to actually see what the benefit was. So it, it was a must go, non-negotiable. I think um, that speaks also to how I grew up. You know, there was no choice in it. Um, so either of you guys can, can, can answer this next question. Do you have um, a teacher or a lecturer that stood out to you while you were in school, university? And why do, you, why do you think that they were so dear to you? Like, what is it that really connected with you for, with, with that teacher, that lecturer? Ladies first, and I can answer, no problem. <laughs> Thanks, okay. Chippo. Um, so quickly, just to <laughs> respond to that one. Um, there was this teacher, I think, in grade 10. His name was Mr. Iga. I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. But he really made an impact in my life in terms of how he taught history. The first time I loved to listen to him talk all the time because he always made it sound like it was a movie. You'd actually picture Bismarck. You'd actually picture all these big names in history that he would be talking about. And it became very easy for me to follow along with it. And I must confess that it was at that point in grade 10 when I made a decision to say, if ever I was going to become a teacher, I wanted to study history and teach it the way he had taught. So yeah, for me, I think Mr. Iga stood out to death. I still remember him and I always talk to him. I talk about him with uh, certain people who ask me about my education background and whatnot, yeah. Chipo? 
Well, in primary school, I had this teacher, Mr. Chipuswe. I think that was around grade six and grade seven. He was extremely tough on us, but you 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 loved him and hated him at the same time because you he he was quite a disciplinarian. But after a few minutes, you are back loving him, and he really taught us. He disciplined us, and he, I think he helped us mature. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of the person I ended up being, especially with the way I approached school in primary school particularly was because of him and I think he had a big influence on most of my peers at the time and everybody who probably got taught by him. Wow that those are some touch I wish these teachers could hear this hey you you guys need to check up on them and just let them make them listen to this. Moving right along when you hear the word education just bringing it back to our topic at hand today when you hear the word education, what is it that comes to mind? A phrase or a word that comes to mind when you hear education? Tambula, uh, I'll start with you again. Um, I think for me, when the word education, you know, comes, is presented my way, I, I feel it's more of lifelong learning. I think that's what comes to me when I think about education, I think of it as lifelong learning, like whatever is involved in my life from the cradle to the grave, if I may speak, there's all this lifelong learning that is there and it's what education means to me. Yeah. Lifelong learning, that's, that's, a, that's one I use as well, I like that. Um, Chipo, what comes to your mind? Well, for starters, when, I, when education comes to mind, for me, it's school, for starters, because I guess generally that's where education is mostly, what word can I use? I guess, yeah, education seems to stem generally from school. That's what, that's what we, I guess we, so maybe not a misconception, but that's just what people believe. Education is school. But yeah, there's a lot of things. Education is also a lot of practical stuff. And uh, like she said, lifelong learning. I, I do farming now and I learn every day, everything you, you learn about sickness, you learn about how to grow stuff, you learn about how to deal with problems and just, you're learning even if you're not in school. So yeah, I guess it's just something that self-development and just bettering yourself mentally. That is so true, you, you, you're touching on a nerve there and I hope it's something that we can really explore as we go deeper into discussion. So Chipa, just to come back to you, having completed your studies and made, I believe it's the board, you may correct me if, I, if I'm wrong. Um, what, what has been your recent experience of education as a student today compared to when say you were in high school? Uh, well, generally I think high school for me was much easier. I like the effort you I didn't need to put in as much effort as I have to now you see with high school you could study two weeks before your exams or whatever and you know you could get good grades now you have to be on top of things from the get-go if you want to do well you could pass but if you want to do well you have to put in more effort and I think this has a lot to do with the bulk of the learning and the depth because we're not just learning things on the surface we're not just explaining principles we're applying them so when you get into that uh, deep level of, of understanding, it gets a bit more challenging. Mm, mm, we're not just learning principles, we are applying them. Oh, Kambule, you as a specialist uh, educate, educator, uh, what adjustments are you now including in your teaching to compared to when you were school or how you were how you were taught okay um i think firstly it has had to be a situation where you come to the realization that as a teacher not the chamber of knowledge <laughs> in the past usually our teachers held all the knowledge all the information you had to sit under their feet or you're doomed. I think that was the impression that was given. But now there has been this paradigm shift of knowing that actually as a teacher, pretty much a facilitator, because children are sometimes going to come with lots of funds of knowledge, which sometimes may be beneficial in your learning journey. 
And so you have to have that at the back of your mind that your children or the students are not coming in as empty slates. They're actually coming in with a lot to offer. All you are doing is just trying to direct them in the streams that are required and necessary for them to be able to you know, benefit from the teaching and the learning process. Um, lots of adjustments, again, have had to be with regards to technology. I think in my time, I know it's not way, but not, not that far back, but in my time, I think technology was not a big thing. We had to learn without technology. It was just the teacher talking, writing on the board, we take down notes, and it was good. Okay. But this time around, I think technology has been embedded a lot to an extent that you as a teacher, you need to be savvy, <laughs> computer savvy about it in order for you to be to be able to put in a bit of YouTube, to put in a bit of you know these apps that are there on the internet and all that. You need to constantly um, avail yourself with all this information on the internet and as well as to know how best can you be able to blend these two so that the children do not only get the negatives, but mostly benefit a lot in a way that is going to help them, I think, um, get more knowledge or expand their knowledge on their interests and whatnot. So for me, I think it's those two things, dropping the idea that you are the chamber of knowledge and realizing that you're simply a facilitator, as well as embedding the aspect of technology in the teaching so that both you and the learners can be able to benefit from it. And then there was a slap at the end of your, um... <laughs> your explanation and I'm, I'm thinking and then mic drop yes i heard i think you were muting again it just went bah! yes mic drop you know what there's something that you really mentioned there and i'm like wow i remember that in high school where teachers were um you know they know that they were the know-it-all, they have all the information. I had a home language teacher, um, Sidwana teacher, in high school where we were like writing or close to writing our metric. And, you know, in South Africa, metric is like the last of your exams in, in school. And this is what you're going to use up when you're applying for university or college or wherever you want to, 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 to go. So this teacher used to tell us there is no way any student can get 100% of any of the tests that she um, gives us, she quizzes us on, because that would mean that you know just as hair. And so like what, what is her role in, in the classroom if you know just as her? So you could score a hundred percent but she'll give you like a 98 or a 99 just to prove that point and and i'm just um reminded by the fact that you're saying like right now teachers are are, are facilitators how you uh take up a role in the classroom right now for you is as a facilitator that that is i think for me growing up and having to see teaching in a different light that is really um refreshing uh so as we move on and hopefully get into the meat more because i think we are getting there oxford languages the dictionary says education uh the meaning of it is firstly it's a noun and it's the process of receiving or giving systematic instruction especially at a school or university and similar words are teaching schooling and i remember uh, chipo mentioned that teaching schooling tuition tutoring instruction and the list goes on and the second um the second explanation is that education enlightens experience and I think I resonated a bit more with that. But before I give you my ideas, um, let's get into this education is broken in Africa. What says you guys, Chipo? Is education broken in Africa? Is it not? Well, what do we mean exactly when we say education is broken? Whatever comes to your mind when you hear that statement, it's just as it is. Education is broken in Africa. What comes to mind? 
Well, I think it would mean that there's some sort of disconnect that uh, maybe we not that we don't get the right information we should, and uh, maybe education a system of education might have been better before than it is today. And uh, yeah, it's not it's probably not going in the right direction. It's getting worse and not getting better. So I would think that I personally think that is the position. Okay, Kambule, what, what comes to your mind? Education is broken in Africa. I, I would say yes and no, in the sense that um, if it is broken, some people like me may not necessarily get to the end of it all because it's broken. So definitely there's, there's no way of getting to the next stage because it's broken, it's done, you know? Um, but yet again, I'm thinking certain areas in the system are broken, which require the actual learner to actually put a bridge. They create their own bridge in order for them to move from this part and connect onto the other end so that they can be able to make it to the other end. What am I going to put in place? Um, you know, like for instance, we have certain situations where there's a child who is in grade seven and uh, after writing, they probably have to go into grade eight, which is like junior secondary. Now, if this, is, if this child is maybe like in a far-flung area where the primary school is closer to their home and now going to the junior secondary, it's quite far from where they live. For them to break that barrier of distance, there has to be determination by the child. Otherwise, I kid you not, this child is just going to drop off and they might as well just get married or whatever they, they decide to do in the village or wherever they are. So that becomes the bridge, the determination bit. While for other learners who may not have it, they may decide not to go to school. Why? Because there's this aspect that is broken. There's no proper transition that is there for a child to smoothly move from one year level to the other because of distance that is in place. So I feel it's a yes and no for me in the sense that certain areas are broken. It's not the whole system that is completely broken, but there are certain bits that I would say are broken. And sometimes it's the learner who has to bridge them. If not bridged, otherwise, most learners may not actually make it into the, in the education system. Wow. Talk about accessibility. Chongo, welcome back. Education is broken in Africa. What says you? Education is broken in Africa. Oh, I've, I just got a, a little bit of what my colleague had to say in terms of it's up to us to bridge the gap. It definitely is broken. I think um, education in Africa comes in clusters because we do still have issues of you know, centralization, developed areas, rural areas. These are very real things. Um, challenges with things like um, you know, internet, accessibility. It's not every part of the country that, that, that will have access to, to the same level of standard of facilities. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting that we're having this, this podcast and the president has literally just hired 30,000 new teachers in Zambia. So it's, it's a first step. It's not, um, you know, there's no, I don't think it, it's such a big and complex problem that there's no one right way of doing it. So you either fix the curriculum, then get the teachers, get the teachers, fix the curriculum, have access it's i think it's just a you know it's an issue of just starting you know you you just brought something to mind as you were speaking chongo and i was um i was just say, thinking right now it's it it really is a it, it's a beautiful start what the president of zambia has done with with the employment and calling of teachers who have been sitting for years and years with qualifications that they have not been using now, an interesting question, or rather a question came to, to my mind as you were speaking to say, now these teachers who have been sitting and properly, many probably rather, have been struggling you know, with, with sustaining their families and keeping up with probably some loans for their studies and whatever. So what kind of quality in the teachers are we bringing or is now the government bringing into classrooms because the the gap has been so immense or so wide since the time that 
teachers qualified to when they have um gotten employment yeah, yeah gotten employment and you know when you're when you're in employment at least there's a bit of um professional development refreshing of courses if you get a bit of extra money you can even um you know get your own studies going but we're talking about people who majority if i am if i'm correct were at home struggling so what quality is really being brought for those students and if if you can think of something like anybody can jump in to say how can the gap be bridged because it's um, going to be visible you know i think at the moment if i'm honest i think it's a matter of something is better than nothing because if i'm honest i think even before the teachers um were hired okay we're literally facing a situation where in government schools it's like you know 50 plus students to one teacher so you ask yourself already how much attention is the child getting in class you know the pass marks were not that great and even in instances where most people pass you find that the the, the requirement for a credit is something like 50 percent 40 percent you know what i mean so the standards i think for a while in um, our education system have slipped um, but I think what the government currently is focusing on before they can get to those things is first making sure that the education is accessible. So one teacher to a class of 50, 60 is better than no teacher. Maybe when there's enough teachers, we can now start thinking of, okay, what are the people learning? Is what we're teaching the young generation relevant for today's world you know I, I i can't speak much for the zambian curriculum because i did not do it but i don't know the last time it was updated you know um all i can say with 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 my comments and where my experience comes in is because a lot of my workers are people who have come from these education systems in my restaurant you know um finishing their grade 12 because that's the, the my minimum requirement is that somebody has finished school and i will tell you that for what i believe to be a grade 12 student the spelling errors being able to express yourself and speak fluently are not um, a standard which i can say is very good okay but at the same time maybe it's better than being the child that just also sits and stays at home and has mm. zero stimulation at all. So mm. I do think this problem is very complex. It's going to take years to get to where we need to be, you know. Um, and to a large extent, I, I also do believe that at some point, it's good the government will do what it can, but the, with NGOs and private sector will obviously help immensely with getting more and more um, children educated to a standard that's yeah. very good. Yeah. You know, um, you just brought a really um, uh, a point that uh, yesterday I was reading about the South African system and Njimotero, um, which is the Minister of Education, was defending why um students in uh, metric year level can have a basic requirement for a pass rate at 33%. It has been lowered all the way down to 33%. And, you know, a lot of people are in shock. A lot of people, a lot of parents are just like, like in disbelief of what's happening and also what kind of um products are we or, or what kind of yeah what kind of products are we are we putting out there of our children because how this is working out 
I think it was um, uh, you, Chongo, when you spoke about accessibility and how also like the class of people and environmental, like the, the location, the education goes or is spread out unevenly or it's given unevenly, like children who are in government schools in certain areas will get this kind of education or this kind of passionate uh, teachers or whatever like that's what I read from what you're saying so coming back to that 33 percent like who are we producing that can tomorrow stand up and stand for the country Chipo you just finished um school like you said um with with the board and do we call you lawyer or advocate or counsel I don't know um and I just want you to just relate a high school student finishing at that low percentage as a requirement, a, a, a minimum requirement, and then having to go into like university, is it realistic? Is it not like, what is your take on, on that? Because isn't that the brokenness of the, of, of education in Africa, that the bars are set so low, who are we cushioning? You know, is it the teachers, the students, who are we cushioning with such percentages to, to, um, for passing? Chipo? Okay, I feel, yeah, that uh, if you're going to really lower the passport, you're making your level of competency very low. So out of 100% of subject matter examined against on, you need to only you know 33% of that. So that's in high school. Then you go to university, which is a lot more technical it's a lot more there's a lot more theory there's a lot more understanding involved when you're answering your questions it's not going to be multiple choice it's not going to be things like that so then when you go to university I think you do get disadvantaged because uh, your competency compared to somebody else who was getting 80 90 percent right and you're still going to be marked the same at university level so if you are not theoretically ready for university you're going to underperform in university you might have to work twice as hard as somebody else because you might have needed to repeat one or two subjects that you're not strong in and just get your competency level up, then go to university and perform better. But your performance might be affected. And I think the main person who's going to be affected negatively by it is the student themselves and not necessarily the, the teachers or the lecturers, because they, for them to get to that level, they've already had to go through certain competencies already. So the student is going to be the most disadvantaged. And yeah, to that, to, that, in the, to that extent, I think it speaks to education being broken because people's standards are being lowered. If I may, just to add on to what Chipo is saying, you know, I think what we also need to realize is education is the building block. Huh? Some people don't see the value of, I'll, I'll put it this way, you know, those uh, building blocks that they make toddlers play with puzzles and stuff somebody who doesn't really understand may just look at it as playing but really that's setting the foundation of you know being able to comprehend to figure out tasks does this shape fit into this space you know those those are building blocks you finish your baby class or whatever you go into grade one you learn the building blocks for your reading writing and spelling you learn the building blocks for your language. You learn about the environment. You learn about basic things. After you learn about the environment, what happens? You, 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 you get more educated and then the environment becomes into the three sciences, biology, chemistry, and physics. You keep building. So for us to expect that somebody has not had a foundation, okay? Acquired their 30% knowledge, 50% knowledge of subject matter and passed. And then for them to all of a sudden miraculously perform exceptionally well at university level is, is broken in itself. You see, you are not giving people the tools they need for the, for the real world, because what, what, what happens is now that the, the person cannot think strategically. 
The person cannot solve problems. Think outside the box. Make a plan. As you know, when now when you get a job and people are saying like, where's your common sense? That common sense, that common sense we are looking for <laughs> had no foundation, had no building blocks, okay? So that is the problem. You see, because now when we come to university level, you go to UNSA, you go to UNILAS, Cavendish or whichever university, it's, it's now a mixing pot because there's private school there, there's good government schools and bad government schools, okay? And then when we look at people who are unfortunate and all these NGOs and you know private sector donor people are ready, happy and willing to help the, 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 you know, the child that has no funds for school. Yeah, I want to help you, but you can't pass. How am I going to give you a, a, a full bursary or, or pay for your, it, but you can't pass? Yeah, what scholarship so, can I give you? Yeah, you, you, Kambule, would you like to jump yeah. in there? Yeah, I just wanted to add on to what they've um, put. I think now I'm thinking to say, could it be that to a large extent, the quality of teachers is not that good to an extent that they do not understand their content. So as they are delivering it, it's hard for them to deliver it in such a way that the small mind is going to actually understand and keep building to a point where they can write their metric with a, a higher pass rate level. Um, I'm meant to think that to some extent, I don't know with other countries, but sometimes, especially like for example, in Zambia, I'm meant to think that sometimes people go into teaching because it's a choiceless choice. I thought med school, I couldn't make it. I didn't pass this, I didn't do that. Let me just go and do education and just see how things go, okay? And mm -hmm. sometimes it could be because their, their knowledge is not at par to such an extent that they can actually inculcate knowledge in other learners to make mm -hmm. them thinking at that evaluation level, it's always recall, what is one plus one, let me recall it. You can't quite use it into practical sense. Say, how can this math content be actually used practically in real life? Because the teacher himself or herself hasn't made all those connections, yeah? So sometimes it could be because people are just going to take up this profession as a choiceless choice. They feel, let me just do it and just get on with it. And then sometimes when teachers are also recruited, probably they don't have people to hold their hands through because no one was born with experience. We all go in, of course, with our knowledge and that information that we have and the willingness to do our best. But of course, you start learning as you do your job. So maybe they lack that as well. They don't have people to hold their hands. They find it's laissez-faire, especially in public schools. We take it for granted to say it's the government stuff, you know, so we don't put in that effort. Because sometimes the same teacher in the government, when you take them in the private school, you find their attitude kind of like changes. Their game is up because they know it's a contract. If I don't deliver, I'm going to be, you know, it's not going to be renewed. But in the government, they can just, you know, do whatever they want. They can come to squat whatever time. You know, they can plan even on the go. So sometimes it's all those aspects that then affect the quality that is thought. So those who've been in the system for too long are going to dampen the morale of those excited but inexperienced teachers or that inexperienced teacher is just looking for a school where they can just sit you know, just teach the bare minimum and go home. So at the end of the day, these students who are being taken to such teachers, by the time they reach their grade seven, their grade 10, their grade whatever, you find they haven't picked the relevant information. Their spelling is lacking. For a child to reach grade 12, where have these teachers been? You know, that the child has got spelling errors, they can't quite compute certain things. Where's the accommodation bit? So the break there is also in terms of accommodation. Yes, children can access the education. Like right now, I'm, I'm excited that in Zambia, we now have free education. Everyone can get into the system. But it's not everyone who's got their IQ. Let me not say IQ. It's not everyone who's got their learning preferences in such a way that they will understand everything that is going to, to be taught to them equally. Some require repetitive teaching. Some require a different type of teaching, use, use of multisensory teaching. Is all that availed to the teachers? Is all that availed to the students so that they can all learn? So sometimes with the teachers, they'll just teach the bare minimum. If you've understood, that's well and good. If you haven't understood, go to the next teacher. Let the burdens be to the next teacher. And you keep passing them on, you keep passing them on. By grade 12, the child has not you know, gotten the basics of literacy and arithmetic. 
And as such, when they're employed by Chongo, it's like, okay, girl, where have you been? Why can't you spell this? Why can't you do this and that? Why? Because there's a teacher somewhere who didn't do their job. They didn't notice to say, oh, Kambole is struggling. How best can I help her with her spelling? All those accommodations are not there. If my learning preference is auditory, but I can't quite write, what accommodation is there that you're putting in place? which will also in turn reflect in university and also reflect in the labor market because everything has to be in tandem. There has to be a need to ride through. If there are breaks in terms of the expectations, well, then you might as well not put in certain accommodations because either way, they're not going to benefit this, this, benefit this child when they go into university. So all these accommodations have to come in. The inclusion bit has to be put in place so that every child has equal access to the education system and not just equal because they've had the access, but that you're meeting them in terms of the information that they are getting at their own uh, level of need. Yeah. Yeah, Kambule, wow. Okay, you know, I have the five question words here with me and I think we've somewhat answered a, a bit of when education broke in Africa because, uh, since we started talking, I think Kambula, you're the one who said it's a yes and a no. Um, however, Chonga um, and Chipa, I'm feeling uh, yes, it's broken. I don't know. I don't know. You guys will correct me. But just moving on, I just want to ask, like, looking at the the like, you know, five question words. I'm a uh, hello everybody. I'm a teacher, so <laughs> when, why, how, what, and who. So. Who is responsible for educating the African child? Whose responsibility is that? Because um, I'd like to think that it's not a one, one directional thing. Uh, education doesn't only happen in a formal setting and they are stakeholders in a child's education. So who is responsible and who should be doing what and who's not doing it to a point where today we are sitting here and according to what I'm hearing, we are saying education in Africa is broken. Who is responsible for this? Chipo, I haven't heard your voice in a bit. Please, can you chip in? <laughs> Did you say who is responsible for it being broken? Or who is responsible for educating people? So, I think you can answer both, but I was asking in the sense of who is responsible of education in Africa being broken at this point? Uh, my view is that a lot of it has to do with uh, the states, the states to start with. I think in terms of a system, like why did we have to employ 30,000 teachers at once? What happened? You see, why, what have we been doing all this time? You see, where, where, yeah, where has the government been? And I would, I, I would like to believe it's been like that in quite a number of African countries. So for starters, I think there's been, there hasn't been adequate investment over, over, the, over the years, investment in facility, investment in human resource and things like that. So that I think was the beginning. That, I think that's where it started because I would like to believe not, not too long ago, uh, education was working fairly well, but uh, I think with the uh, population growth and things like that, uh, there hasn't been a corresponding growth in terms of the number of teachers we have to deal with the people, the growth in population. So for starters, I think a lot of it has to do with the state, but I think society as well, because society generally just says, it's not our job to educate schools, the government's there, schools are gonna be there. So at, there's not a lot of home education. There's not a lot of, I think a lot of the time, sometimes parents might just lay back and say, this is a school's job. You know, the school will deal with this. But then there's also, you have those parents who are very hands-on with their kids who are doing homework and making sure their kids are doing well. And they notice where their kids are weak and they might get in touch with the teacher and say, this guy seems to be struggling with this. This girl seems to be struggling with this. Can we address it? Because it doesn't seem to be working out. So society has played a role, but I think the key, the key player would probably be uh, the state. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it, in, in my language, they say, um, which means a fish spoils from the head first. So if, the, if people who are in charge or who are meant to be in charge are not 
like you said, invest investing in people, investing in uh, structure, buildings, accessibility, things like that, then the tail obviously will will not function. And I want to get into also why is education like this in Africa? So I was listening to, uh, I think even, even uh, Chulu told me about this video and I had actually seen it. Uh, I watched this video of a, a gentleman explaining how, um, you know, people in America, when you, um, when you get employment, it's not about how much or how many qualifications you have, like you have a VA, MA, you have a PhD, what, what, what. It's not about that. You can have that. But it comes down to the skills, you know, skills from A to Z, skills as in, you know, uh, thinking skills, problem solving, uh, self management, hand skills. Like, what experience do you have? What what can you do outside of your qualification? Yes, you obtained that 10 years ago, but what are you gonna bring, you know, when you're getting employed in interviews and things like that? And he said something very interesting to say that um, in Africa, he has realized that, you know, people will sit with a PhD that is 20 years old and still be on some, may I have a PhD? But they've never, you know, um, invested in the skills that go with that PhD implementation of the knowledge. I remember um, a, a cheaper one of your starting points where that education also needs to, you know, go in hand in hand with the implementation of what you've learned. You know, people who are just comfortable with um, with with having the qualification, I've backed it and it sits there. And every now and then, when I need a job or whatever, I just show to say, you know, is it? Uh, are we crippling ourselves as Africans to be looking at qualifications in that way without any support supporting skills? Chongo, yeah, hundred percent, Teboho. You've actually mentioned a number of things that I you know, as we've been discussing, I thought were very important to touch on. Um, tying into what Chipo said as well, you see the state being the issue, problem starting from the head. Um, I think as Africans, when we got our independence, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just speak generally, we got our independence. And I think if you if you try and think about it for for like our, the first generation of you know Africans that went to the good schools because it's what the white people left behind for us and went to university, th there's that um, what what can I say? The, the achievement that was attached to that ended there. Okay, I don't know if our culture and systems have also taken into account continuation, you know? So like you're saying, when you need to now start applying your knowledge, because had continuation been happening, um, we wouldn't be here today. So going back to why did we need to hire 30,000 teachers at once. Because at some point, everyone just arrived. You got your papers, you, got, you arrived, you sat, you got your, your, you know, your good job and what is, whatever it is. And now that's it. You see, so even with education, unfortunately, mm -hmm. it should be you know, at school and at home. Your kid comes home, you do homework with them. Some people were not fortunate enough to have parents who went to school, so no one is going to teach them anything at home. You know, when we look at education in the African setting, it's not like in America where there's, they've had school systems for years and years and, you know, 
reading and writing, it's so, it's so natural that no one even thinks about it. It's not hard to sit down and read with your kid and do homework or Google something. Even if you don't know, you can fake it till you make it because you have technology to help you. You know, some, some of these children are going to homes where they're the only ones who, who even are in school to begin with. So that continuation story really is, um, I don't know, it, it, it's going to need the community. It's, it can't just end at home and it can't end with the teachers. Maybe those that are fortunate enough to have these facilities will need to think of a way where sort of community-based um, learning outside of school can make up for students who come from homes that don't have that support. Yeah. Oh, yes, Kampole. Yeah. You, you... yeah, I just wanted to also add on to, I think, what you were asking to say. Why is it that sometimes you have people with qualifications, and then it kind of like ends there, like the skills are not really coming out? I think sometimes we have people who feel once you've gotten a qualification, that's it. Somehow, miraculously, you'll be able to just work through whatever job you've been given without getting beyond that qualification because sometimes I feel certain qualifications or certain programs that you go through they just open your mind to actually be open to learning and to open to critical thinking to open to other opportunities that come your way and then you push in that direction so if we get that I think it becomes a bit better we've heard of certain universities where when people come out of those universities they're actually big-headed they think simply because they went to this university they will actually do it and then they go into the labor market they only find this person who went to this university they kind of like do not esteem is doing it very well better than them why because this person has noticed to say it's not the paper that works it's me who's actually supposed to put in the time the effort the work the research you know, doing all these little bits so that at the end of the day, I'm able to actually put in the best. So I think um, people have to put that, they have to differentiate between being schooled and being educated. Sometimes people are just schooled. You go in because you're very good with memorizing, you give back to what the lecturer has given you, you give back to what the teacher has given you, and you're done. Weeks, months later, you've forgotten all the theories. How do they actually practically apply into what I am doing? How do what I learned practically applies into this? And sometimes what we even learn may not necessarily apply to what we'll be doing then, but it may be used at some point elsewhere, maybe during this podcast or maybe during somewhere, something that you're doing elsewhere. But what I had said in terms of lifelong learning happens as you interact with people, as you work, you start picking certain aspects of how best you can be the best version of you in your workplace, you know? So all those certain traits come as a result of you being determined to research, to read more, to see what other people are doing, look out for best practices, these short um, workshops that are done, these short, you know, uh, trainings that are done, all those things sometimes are the ones that are going to make you the best version of yourself as opposed to that degree or that master's that you may have had. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that because the more you gain more knowledge, the better you become open-minded and open to lots of things coming in. But at the same time, you need to put in the time as an individual. So that you're not just schooled, I like to call it that way, so that you're not schooled, but you're actually educated. A person who's educated must be internationally minded. They must be open to other people's um, suggestions. Sometimes certain people are closed up because they feel they have this PhD. If I come in with this suggestion, they're, they're all closed up not knowing that they are, they are missing out on certain things that they can actually benefit from to make them even better. So you have to consider all those things to say, if you are educated, there are certain traits that should come out of you, which should overflow and other people should actually benefit from them because you have understood to say the aspect of being an educated person is not only keeping that information to yourself, but sometimes you can also give out ideas to others, take in ideas from others and push forward in that direction. So yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, 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 Kambula, so many points, you know, you and Chongo just threw in so many points and I'm just, um, hey, yeah, I hope, you know, whoever gets to listen to this, I think it's, this is going to be one of those things that you have to listen to and then listen to it again so that you catch those points again, you know, because if you listen to it once, I don't think you'll catch everything. So um, yesterday I was listening to uh, what is deemed one of the most popular podcasts in South Africa. And they were chatting to a politician and 
he said something that really struck a chord with me and I really, I was left in, in deep thought. He said, you know, I'm a piano. I don't know if you guys know I'm a piano. It's, it's a music genre in South Africa. It, it's just uh, fairly new, you know, and it's, it, he says it's doing such great things internationally and locally. And he said, I'm a piano has, po has fought poverty. It has fought poverty in South Africa. And then he continued to say, if the state wanted to help such musicians or such young people, they would make industry, they would make the industry, the music industry accessible and build studios in every township where the youth can go and record by booking for an hour for free. Now, this is a, a South African lens. And I was really taken like, what are the things that African government, like moving forward to what to do next? You know, how do we help this situation? What ideas can we share? What are the things that African governments can do or build, uh, put in place to make ed education unbroken or more accessible or you know meaningful instead of like Kambula is saying just schooling you know um yeah I I really was just held on to that I held on to that yes Chong. when we when we talk about education I'll, I'll I'll also ask this question okay when people go to school are people going to school for academia or are we trying to bring up a generation that can live tomorrow and be independent and exist in this world and make a living for themselves, okay? Because those are two separate things. Because you see, if we want to raise a generation that's able to work for themselves and feed their family when they grow up, we can't all focus on school if we're going to try and fix this gap, which is, let's be honest, it's gonna take more than 10 years to fix, okay? We need to start accepting that skills and talents are different. So I can, we can bridge the gap by starting to recognize different, um, people have different skills, people have different strengths and people can do, you know, if we, if we, if we focus, for example, on, um, in Australia, they used to call them, they call them like TAFE. So I don't, what, what word would you use those sort of like, um, sort of skill schools where they do like carpentry, electrician, uh, 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 mm, mm, mm. you know, yeah, building, know construction. Yes, yeah. They, yeah. Those, those are different from universities. You can then also get, not everyone can get a full blown uh, a degree. There are some people that can get their certificate and diploma, find a decent job. Then there are those who are in academia who are going to get their engineering. People like Chipo who are going to pursue law all the way. We're going to have our doctors and whatever. We need to start thinking about how are we going to balance out our society? If we're going to say, look guys, let's start recognizing our arts, um, our arts, uh, and, and people who've got talents with their singing, their performing, their sculpting. It's also making somebody that's gonna improve on their craft, improve on themselves and earn a living tomorrow. I think in Africa, it is happening in a small way, but we need yeah. to broaden that spectrum, okay? Oh. So when we talk about school, even sport, let's not even forget about sport. You know what I mean? So are we talking about education, academics? Are we talking about how are we raising tomorrow's generation? And when we say again, you know, how are we bridging the gap? Because it's not going to happen overnight that we're able to revise the curriculum and, you know, sort out, I don't know how many years of whatever we've been missing now, all of a sudden places that have not even had access to, to cell phones, now they must know the internet and start coding. 
Yeah, 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 Chogo. Oh, yeah, no, you know, you those are valid points. Ah, I wish we can keep going, guys, but the time is not on our side. However, I do have, um, I just want to give you an opportunity to um, just say one last thing as to, you know, I think Chongo, you you kind of uh, um, you know took some of uh, what I was going to include in this last question to say what is what is your challenge? Like, what is it that you think can be done with the learning community? And this is including parents, teachers, um, students, and in government school government concerning education. What, what can be done? Like just the one liner, what idea do you have? Because I think if we throw these ideas out there, someone will catch something in an attempt or hope to unbreak this brokenness. Because I mean, we need to do something guys. Like something needs to happen. Yes, it will take us a long time. Of course, it took us a long time to get where we are right now, but then we can learn from each other, do this, do that. and. With that, I'll, I'll just wrap up everything. Um, Chipo, what idea do you think? It can be parents, it can be students, it can be teachers, or it can be the government that can do, like what's coming to your mind to unbreak this brokenness that we're dealing with? Uh, I think for starters, it would have to just to do, start with passion. So it would have to start with what is the individual's passion, the actual learner. Uh, Chongo spoke about skills and things like that. So. What are they passionate about for starters? Where does it, what, what do they like to do? What are their interests? It would also have to do with political leaders. Are they passionate about education? If they're passionate about education, they'll pass good policy. You know, there's a lot of things that can be changed just through the policy. If you look at teachers, and I like how Kambole has been speaking because she seems passionate about education. You see, so if you have more people passionate about learning, teaching, how to teach meth, meth, methodologies and all those things, I think it would, just passion would make a very big difference across the board because if everybody's more interested and people, the people who are passionate about it are given a chance to showcase their passion, I think that would make a very big difference. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Pa passion, like, you know, I have a, <laughs> I have a t-shirt that says I run on passion. You know, passion is the root of it all. If you don't love what you're doing, ah, forget of what you're going to produce in that. Kambule, what, what do you think? Who in the learning community can you throw an idea to? I think for me, I would say with the stakeholders like the government, they need to start having conversations with public, private, and international schools. So they start sharing knowledge and just to see where are we missing it? How best can we have best practices so that our learners in the, in the government school can also benefit from certain things that they are not benefiting from as a result of being in public schools. Um, in the system, like the education system, sometimes you find as people rise in their ranks and they become leaders and they're in their offices, there's a, there's a break between what they're doing in the office and what's happening on the grassroots there. So we, we need a lot of technocrats who are down there to liaise with them so that as policies are being formulated, it's us, the teachers, who are actually feeding into those policies. Not them thinking of what policies should be given to us, but us feeding them. Because once we own those policies, we own those curriculums which are revised, it becomes easy for us to take them down to the, to the students as well. So the discussions with public, private, international schools is very important for us to bridge these gaps that we are noticing. And then also them in their offices to talk to us as teachers so that we come together and then we just put up these policies as well as these revisions that are relevant to the children. To the, to the teachers, I think they need to start opening doors to their parents. Give them the very basic of um, things that they can use to help their learners. It could be the use of butter tops. Go down to the basics. What are the basics that can be used? We don't have building blocks. We don't have all these puzzles, but what can be made from home with the local materials? I love how some people have developed local materials which they use with their learners in class. Tell them, uh, tell the parents as well to use stones, bottle tops and counting. What else can we do to help these learners actually benefit from the teaching and learning process from home? They could be struggling with their mental calculations, but what other hands-on things can be used from home and sometimes even brought in school? So I think opening doors to parents in the government schools, it's still the same. 
it's still closed up. Teachers are, and parents are scared to approach teachers because the teachers are going to say, take your kid elsewhere or they'll start treating, treating the child badly. But we need to open those doors uh, so that we have the parents come in, they give us an input. We also give them an input and I think together we can work better. So I think parents and teachers, especially in public schools, that communication has to start. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, with every relationship, there needs to be communication. And I mean, I think the stakeholders, all of us need to be talking to each other and understanding. Right, Chongo, last but not least, what is yours? One thing to anyone in the stakeholder community or the learning community, um, it can be to teachers, parents or governments, can you say, I think the one thing that can be a starting point will be this. And yeah. I think, I think I'm just going to add to what Kapule uh, has message to say. We need to start thinking about education with, from a different perspective. Um, I think largely education has been put on this table to say this is something the very educated teacher, close community can only do, and they're the ones who have access to our children, which is not wrong. But if we start looking at it and saying, as a community, together with our teachers, how are we going to teach our children? Because once we start doing that, it becomes, like she said, easier for parents to talk to teachers about their children how best they can help them. Um, even for teachers, you know, to talk to parents about their children when they notice something, that two-way uh, relationship needs to just be expanded. And then when we think outside of the schools, I think for a country like Zambia that has such a big gap, it would be nice to know, I'm sure these channels do exist in a, but I just don't know how popular they are, you know, going on radio, having YouTube um, sort of learning. Maybe our education uh, our ministries can also think about how they can reach the masses to areas that are hard for, 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 for students to, to get access to school. Maybe they can listen to radio two, three times a week and get lessons. You know, if there's like scheduled times for um, grade seven revision on radio that they can do from home, you know, and then maybe go to school the other two, three days or something like that. We need to try and see how we can bring education into people's homes. And I think with cell phones, radio, and to an extent, internet, um, all these things are possible. I mean, COVID is literally proof of the unthinkable. We never thought that we would be working from home ever, but people have graduated. We have graduates this same 2022 who are all online learners, you know? So we need to just open our mind and I think get to the table and see how we can help those that are far away, those that have challenges, and I think that solutions can be there. Yeah, no, those be open mind. Now, if you've been listening, I think some of the things that I picked up from, from our conversation and, you know, directed to the different um, stakeholders, learning community members is accessibility, you know, just to recap, student-teacher ratio, something to be considered, especially for our government schools. Um, uh, learning community, what is your role? You know, we all play a role in this learning community. Are you educated or are you schooled? I, I read that one stayed with me. And, you know, balancing talent, um, slash skills with academics. Where is the support? Do we have support? Government, are you listening? What can we do to support our students? You know, so guys, as a goodbye, I would like for you to just say education in your own language. And 
I'll do my final salutation and that will be it. Can we do that, please? I will start with um, Kambole. Kusambilila. <laughs> Kusambilila as well. That's Bemba. Uh, okay, mine is Tudo. And with that, my beautiful listeners, I bet you had some aha moments, as Oprah would say it, and some questions or some, wait a minute, did I hear that correctly? Or what if? How come? You know, we would like to hear all about those via our link on the podcast when, you re- when it's out and about. Please share, share, share a voice note with us. And we will be sure to direct the questions to our panel or research on those questions. Also, we want to share with our community and empower our community. So please share. Sharing is caring. And with that, I'm your host, Tabuha the Third. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. Be part of the solution. Talking is not enough. We need action. So I am challenging you today. What are you going to do about what you just heard? Tell us all about it on social media. Tag at Africana Women or hashtag Educated Africana. The Educated Africana is part of the Africana Women podcast network. Subscribe, review and share this episode to help us keep the conversation going. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at Africana Woman or hashtag Educated Africana. Catch you next week.